Hey, thanks for tuning in to today's message. If you don't know, we upload a brand new message every week. So make sure to go ahead and smash that subscribe button so you can stay up to date with all the new content here at Destiny Church. Before we jump into today's message, I've got to let you know that coming up on September 27th is Welcome Home Sunday. You're like, what in the world is that? It is the most important Sunday here at Destiny Church because that's the time when we shift our attention from those that call Destiny home to those who may not have found a relationship with God or found a community of faith to call home. There's going to be special elements, an experience for your kids, a message is going to be powerful, lives are going to be transformed. Here's the thing, you have friends or family or maybe it's even you that have not found a community of faith that's encouraging you, that's inspiring you and motivating you to be all that God has called you to become. The Bible says this life was never meant to be lived alone. You need family. So here's what I'm asking. If you're watching online, consider hosting a watch party. Gather those family, those friends, those, those people in your circle and say, hey, let's watch this together and watch God bring you together like never before. If you're in the Maryland area, pick a campus, pick a service, grab some tickets, grab your friends. I'm telling you, your life will forever be transformed. September 27th, welcome home Sunday. I'm pumped. Hey, let's jump into this message. Prepare your hearts, prepare your minds. Let's do it. Hebrews chapter 10. We will read through verses 19 through uh, 39, but to kick it off, I want to start in verse 35. It says, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Let us pray. Gracious one, the creator of heaven and earth, clearly you are here with us. And so first of all, we thank you for being here with us. And as we turn our attention towards your scripture, we pray, God, that you will speak a word to us individually, to us as a family, as well as a larger community. We thank you in advance for a word in season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As we get started today, um, this place is dear and near to my heart. And so as I was praying about what it is that I should share, um, as you know, every time you look at scripture, there's a context within the scripture. And I believe that we approach scripture as a context. And so I believe the message today is going to deal with us exactly where we are. There are two words I want to bring your attention to in our primary passage of Scripture. That's the word promise and the word reward. Scripture says here that to not cast away your confidence for it has a great reward. Then it goes down a little further and says we have need of endurance. So after we have done the will of God, we may receive the promise. In Scripture, there are many aspects and many awards, rewards or promises that we see. One that I'm sure you all are familiar with is found in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you, to give you a hope, a future, and an expected end. Another one that we are probably all familiar with is found in Romans, where it says all things. Somebody say all things. All things will work together for the good of them who love God and are the called according to his purpose. And as I look and I think about the many promises of God and how I've seen many of them enter into my life, if I'm being honest, there are some I'm still waiting to see come to pass. 
Oh, you're not the honest group? I think in the, as I look at my life, there are some testimonies and some ways I've seen God move and change and transform, but there are still some promises that I'm still holding on to. Now, promises are great because they let me know direction. They let me know which way I'm headed towards. But sometimes it's great that I know where I'm headed to, but what do I do when the promise that I'm headed towards is not in my present? What do I do when I believe the reward that I will get but my reality is the opposite of the reward. I'll get a little, a little more personal because some of y'all are still trying to figure me out. I remember 248 days ago, I was sitting right there where Pastor Timmy is sitting. We were here celebrating uh, New Year's Eve, the ending of one year, the beginning of another year. I remember Pastor uh, Stephen preaching a great message and we were worshiping. And I remember God speaking some things to me. And I began to think about 2020, vision, double vision. God's going to do great things. I, I remember being reminded that God was telling me that he is with me, that all things are going to work together for my good. And as I'm thinking about that, I had some thoughts of what I thought that promise would look like in 2020. How many of you know that looks nothing like what it looks like right now? When I was sat there 248 days ago, 37 weeks ago, and I was thinking about 2020, and I was excited about the promise. I was excited about the reward. I did not think this would be my reality. I did not think I'd have four family members who contracted COVID-19. I did not think we would celebrate the transition of my grandfather. I did not think my mother would break her arm at my grandfather's home going. I didn't think I would spend six months preaching to an empty room. What do you do in the gap? What do you do in between your present and the promise? I believe a good summary of 2020 is probably a gap year. While we are grateful and thankful and we can see how God has moved, I think we've had to pause in some regard. We've had to make some adjustments. And so in the middle of this year, the question becomes, what do I do in the middle? What do I do in the gap? Because if I don't know what I'm doing in the gap, I can find myself finishing too soon. I can find myself ending. So my goal today is to let you know what you should do in the gap and then to spend 30 minutes trying to convince you of that. Here's the main idea. What you need to do in the gap, what you need to do in the middle between your present and the promise, between your reality and the reward, you need to protect the asset. Say protect the asset. Before we go to scripture, let's talk about what that means naturally. There are things in our life that are assets. There are things that are of value. There are things that are also not of value. And so an asset speaks to value. It speaks to worth. It speaks to significance. Now, many of us may look at different things as different assets, so I'll give three assets that you'll probably be able to identify with one of them. Some of us view our car as an asset. That's the reason we go and wash it every week. It's the reason why we say, don't eat in my car, right? <laughs> it's the reason we take it to get an oil change and we check the tire pressure is because I want to make sure the asset will be with me as long as it can. Some of us have a house and a house is our asset. We know that I put my money down, I make my mortgage payments that over time that I believe that it will be some worth in there. So I take care of it. I have homeowner's insurance. I make sure that I get repairs. I make sure that I do that which is necessary to protect my assets. Of course, you can't talk about an asset without talking about money. 
So money is an asset. And so that's why I take a portion and I put it in my savings and I put a portion into retirement and I, and I invest so that when I'm older, I have some assets that I can pull upon. I protect my asset. We've also seen it in many movies where there is somebody of significance that's trying to get from one point to the other. And the whole focal point of the movie is moving this important person, this asset from one place to the next place. So just like naturally, there is a need for us to protect the asset. Spiritually, especially in seasons like this, it's important that you protect the asset. So the question is, as many of you are looking at me, is, okay, that's great. So what's the asset? I'm glad you asked. We find it in verse 35. He says, therefore, do not cast away your, what does that say? Confidence. The asset in this text is confidence. The asset that you must protect in this gap year, in, in between your present and the promise, is confidence. The, the asset you must protect in between your reality and the reward is confidence. How many of you have heard of the word confidence before? Some of y'all just don't want to raise your hand. It's okay, though. So confidence. Confidence is a word that we are familiar with. We've heard it talked about many times. Confidence can perhaps be seen in posture. If someone stands up straight and their, their, their head is up, you may perceive that they have confidence. It can be seen in the way somebody speaks. Maybe if they talk like this, you may think they don't have any confidence. But if a person is talking boldly, they're looking you in their eye, then you may see that they have confidence. But just because we're familiar with the word does not mean that when you look at it in Scripture, it's the same word. We must understand that in looking at Scripture, we do not conform Scripture to our experience, but we go to Scripture to allow it to inform our experience. So as we are talking about confidence, the question is, what is biblical confidence? What does the Bible talk about when it's talking about confidence? So I'd like to first, sometimes it helps to understand a concept by talking about what it is not. Biblical confidence is not pride. Scripture says that God hates pride. Pride is that emphasis where I have an overconfidence in who I am and all of my being. Confidence is not arrogance. Arrogance places attention on what I know, what I can do. I can figure it out. I have confidence that I can solve any problem, that I can make it happen in my own strength. And confidence is not cockiness. You think cockiness, you think a football player, right? The most popular person who has a strength, I mean, who has a, a confidence in their strength and their ability. So biblical confidence is not pride. It is not arrogance and it is not cockiness. So what is biblical confidence? Let's go to scripture. If we look at verse 19, it starts off by saying, therefore, brethren, having the boldness to enter into the holies of holies by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way. Let's stop there. So depending upon the translation, it says having a boldness or it talks about confidence. And so we're going to take a, a moment for me to explain the context here. Up until Jesus came, we did not have the ability to have a personal relationship with Jesus. 
We had to send somebody else. We were not able to enter into the presence of God. We were not able to walk and talk and move and breathe. And so what the writer is saying here is in talking about the confidence is now you have a confidence or you have a boldness that you are able to enter into the presence of God based upon what Jesus has done for you. Because Jesus died, buried, resurrected, defeated death, hell, and the grave, now you can have a confidence that's attached to his presence, that's attached to what he has done. So when we talk about biblical confidence, biblical confidence is a boldness and an assurance in who God is and what he has done in my life. Biblical confidence is attached to God. How many of you in here have a relationship with God? How many of you who can stop for a second and think about who you was before the relationship with God and think about who you are right now and see a change? How many of you can think about a time when you prayed to God to move and he moved? How many of you can think about a time when you said, God, if you do this, I won't do that again. Then he did it. And then you lied and you did it again and he did it again and you lied and he did it again and he did it again. It's confidence in who God is. It's not confidence in my ability. It's not confidence in my strength. It's not even confidence that things will work out the way I want them to. But it's confidence the fact that I have a relationship with the true and living God. And I have the ability to enter into his presence. And as a result, I have been changed and transformed. So I don't need to see things happen externally. I can look at myself and believe God. It's a confidence rooted in the fact that I have an experience and a relationship with the true and living God. So therefore, my confidence is in him. Biblical confidence is a boldness and an assuredness in who God is and the effects that it has in my life. So now we've talked about confidence. So now my whole premise is for us to navigate this, we have to protect the asset. There are three ingredients. How many ingredients? There are three ingredients to confidence that need to be protected. And in me explaining them to you, I'm going to tell you what you need to protect them from. When you leave this place, there is no reason you should not be able to protect your confidence. So let's look at what these three things are. And they are still in our passage of scripture. Mm, mm, mm. I got to preach in me. I'm trying to, trying to contain. Y'all pray for me. Y'all pray for me. All right. So let's go into verse 22. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty consciousness and having our bodies washed with pure water. The first thing that we see here that I want to bring your attention to is a heart with full assurance of faith. The first ingredient in biblical confidence is faith. Faith. What is faith? I'm sure, again, we've heard about faith several different times. Hebrews 11, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. But what is faith? To describe faith, I will lean on my wife. Faith is a trust, a reliance, a confidence. Think about somebody you trust a lot for me to be my wife. If Stephanie tells me she's going to do something next week, I count it as done because I trust her, because I have faith in her. One day passed, it's still not done. I still have faith. So biblical faith is a trust and a reliance upon God. It's a trust and a reliance that he is who he said he is. So what is the opponent? What am I, what's coming after my biblical faith? What am I protecting the asset against? 
Typically, when I ask this question in an audience, what comes up as the number one answer is wrong, so I won't ask you. <laughs> Typically, the response is fear. You need to, while you need to protect it to fear, fear is not the largest opponent against faith. The largest opponent of faith is unbelief. Faith is a trust and a reliance. It's a belief in God. So in this season of uncertainty, as I navigate, as I'm in the middle, as I am looking to protect the asset, I must protect my faith from unbelief. I am currently in my third year of seminary. And as I entered seminary, I received a lot of words of encouragement. Somebody said, seminary is the cemetery for Christians. They told me that seminary is the place where people who love God leave hating God. I know, aren't, aren't Christians encouraging? So many encouraging things. But as I look at the concept and I'm thinking about faith and unbelief, I'm actually reminded of a story that happened. And I think it will speak to many of us here today as we are intelligent people. We were sitting there and we were talking about Jesus and we were talking about researching Jesus' life and, and what part can you prove that Jesus walked and talked and they were looking at fossils and trying to pull up evidence that he was actually in this city at this time and different things were happening. And, and seminary is a place where everybody can talk and so somebody said, I don't believe any of this. Oh, we going there today, okay. Okay, let's go there today. And so then the professor said, okay, do tell, go on. And he said, I just, I don't believe it. I don't, I don't believe any of this. I don't, I don't even believe that Jesus existed and he was born and, and all of that. We, we look at the, the whole fossils and, and I, don't, I don't believe it. The professor said, okay, what brought you to seminary? <laughs> well, at the time I felt like God called me. Oh, okay. Calls you to do what? Well, to, to serve his people. Okay. So what has caused you? you feel this way right now? Well, I just don't think we can prove it. And so then the professor said, well, son, I think you are confusing faith Jesus with historical Jesus. The purpose of historical Jesus is to research it from a scientific standpoint that is proven from science. And so we look at fossils and we look and try to prove from a historical standpoint that's different than faith Jesus. Faith Jesus is associated with the relationship that you have with him. It's associated with an aspect that you had an encounter with the true and living God and your life was changed and transformed. And as a result, you have decided to live for him and you continue to have a relationship with him. He said, son, historical Jesus never informs faith Jesus. And the mistake that you're making is you're trying to use science to justify your faith and science can never justify your faith. And I think for us, we have to be careful. While for us, it may not be science, but some of us approach God like it's a science project. Some of us may approach God like it's an engineering piece. If I do this and I do that, then it's going to happen. If that does not work for your wife and it does not work for your mother and it does not work for you, why do you think it will work for the creator of the universe? So the way we protect our faith is realizing it's a relationship with the true and living God. And just like if I tried to say I can figure you out, you'd be in your feelings, why do we think we can figure out God? It's getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. So if we're going to have confidence, we have to protect our faith. And we have to protect our faith from unbelief. We have to realize that I cannot mentally ascend to God. 
that I cannot figure things out, but it's a relationship. And the way that I fuel my faith is that I continue to have a relationship. The way that I fuel my faith is I continue to encounter him. The way I fuel my faith is I go to scripture and I say, God, talk to me, speak to me, that I approach and I fuel my faith through a relationship with God. So the first thing, the first aspect of confidence we have to protect is faith. In this season, as you stand in the gap, I must protect my faith. The second ingredient of of biblical confidence that we need to look at, we can find in Hebrews 10, 23. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. The second ingredient to biblical uh, confidence is hope. What is hope? Hope is a favorable confident expectation of good. A great picture of hope is Christmas morning, a seven-year-old. Christmas Eve, can I open the gift? Can I open the gift? No, not now. You can open it in the morning. Can I open it? You ask me one more time. All right. 12, 12.01, come. It's Christmas. Can I open the gift? No idea what's under there, but the anticipation. I know it's going to be something good because I know my mother loves me. <laughs> It's going to hit one of y'all later. I know it's something good because my parent is looking out for me. I know it's something good because I know God is real. I know it's something good because I have a relationship with him. So in hope, if we are going to walk in the confidence that God has for us, we have to protect our hope. We have to protect that aspect that while things may not look the way that I think they should right now, that in the midst of it, it will still work out for my good. Because why? Here it says, because he who promised is faithful. My hope is not attached to things working out the way I want them to. My hope is attached to the fact that he is faithful. Numbers 23 says that God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. If he said it, it shall come to pass. And so my hope is attached to God being faithful, that if I look at the testimony of those who have gone before me, they can talk to you about how he was a doctor in the sick room. They can talk about how he was a lawyer in the courtroom. I got any old school saints in here. They will tell you about how God has always come through. He may not come through the way I wanted him to, but he came through right on time. It's that type of understanding that while things may not look like what I want them to, I still have hope that God will come through. Very similar to the song we sang earlier. It won't be dark very long. That's hope. That's recognizing. While it may be a lot right now, it's not too much because the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives, moves, and breathes on the inside of me. So if he defeated death, hell, and a grave, what is this situation that I'm in that he cannot defeat? It's hope. He said we must hold fast to the confession and the profession of our hope. I want to encourage you, use your words. Remind yourself that all things are going to work together for the good of them who love God and are called according to your purpose. Remind yourself that God has a plan for me. God has a purpose for me. I hold on to my hope. But what am I protecting my hope against? What am I guarding my hope against? The largest opponent of hope that I have found is failed expectations. Failed expectation. Y'all, you know, I didn't even realize I was struggling with this. It wasn't until I got married. I was having a conversation with my wife about Christmas. And she said, what do you want? I said, I'm good. 
No, what do you want for Christmas? No, no, I'm, I don't need anything. Like, I don't, I don't really expect gifts from people. Because, you know, in the dating phase, you just, you try to show out, right? But, but, but now we married. It's all our money. I'm good, you know? Matter of fact, I'll buy what I want, right? And she said, well, let me tell you what I want. I want these shoes. I want this purse. Uh, but what she said to me was, that's weird. And so I'm like, whatever, it's me. I'm going to do me. You do you. But when I walked away, it stuck with me. Because I was the little kid that was excited about Christmas. I was the person who was looking forward to getting that Nintendo. I know I'm aging myself. I was looking forward to, I can remember the, you know, the Atari was a little before me, but I remember the Nintendo and the Nintendo 64 and the Sega Genesis. Okay. I was looking forward to, to Duck Hunt. Anybody know Duck Hunt? Okay. Anyway, and so I was looking forward to that. And then when I became a teenager, I was looking forward to Christmas because mama, you know, decided that she's going to just give us cash. So Christmas was the day I got cash. And then the day after Christmas, we went shopping and we had all the sales. I was looking forward to Christmas. So what happened between that hope and, and now where I don't expect anything from anybody? And I realized there was a failed expectation. I realized that year after year, somebody told me that they would be there. Somebody told me they'd give me a gift. Year one, disappointment. Year two, disappointment. Year three, disappointment. <laughs> I'm tired of being disappointed. So I adjust my expectation. I build walls where there should be fences. I build a wall to protect myself, realizing not only can nothing get in, but nothing can get out. Where a fence, I build it and there's an entryway in and an entryway out. And so I realized that I had a failed expectation. And it was not until, listen, I was in church, I was on staff at a church, I was preaching, but it wasn't until I encountered somebody who was healthy. Somebody who had the full assurance of hope that I realized that I was unhealthy. That's part of the value of groups. That's part of the value of community. It's the aspect of realizing that God not only moves in a preached word, but he moves as I encounter the household of faith. And so if you are going to have God confidence, if you are going to have the confidence in Scripture, you have to protect your hope from failed expectation. And the third ingredient that we find here is found in verse 24 and 25. Now, I've warned every other uh, service, don't turn me off. Because sometimes we hit a Scripture and we've been beat up by it. I'm not going to beat you up by it, okay? At least not in the way you've been beat up before. Uh, <laughs> It says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up, stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together in a matter of some, but exhorting one another as so much more you see the day approaching. Many of us have heard this scripture used to say, you got to keep going to church. Don't forsake the assembling of, of each other. While that's an important aspect of, the church, of, of this uh, scripture, but it's possible you can keep going to church and not fulfill the scripture. It's possible you can be sitting in Baltimore County right now having a great worship experience and not fulfill this because we skip the front part. The front part says, let us consider one another in order to stir up what? Love. The third ingredient to biblical confidence is love. It's love. It's, it's, scripture says that I'm to love the Lord my God with my heart mind, soul, and strength, but it doesn't stop there. It says, I must also love my neighbor as myself. It also says in 
in uh, the epistle of John, how can I say that I love a God who I cannot see and I not love you who I can see? True biblical love is not just talking about my love for God, but also my love for people. I say it like this. I can tell how much you love God based upon how you love other people. <laughs> Let me get a little closer. I can tell how much you love God based upon how you treat your wife. I can tell how much you love God based upon how you treat your husband. I can tell how much you love God based upon how you treat your kids. I can tell how much you love God based upon when somebody who cannot do anything good for you, do you still do good to them? True biblical love is not just me and mine and it's all about me and God. No, true biblical love is I have a relationship with God and that relationship with God is lived out in every other relationship that I have. So in looking at this, what am I protecting love against? What's the opponent of love? This last ingredient is selfishness. Selfishness. Now, to me, selfishness actually has two aspects. To me, I think about selfishness kind of like a number line. So right now, I'm at zero. And, and this is the healthy place, right? But I can go over here, 10 this way, and 10 this way. So there are two aspects of selfishness. This one over here we're all familiar with, so I'm going to just hit it for a little bit. Then I'm going to go focus over that. This aspect of selfishness is it's all about me. I engage with Christian community, I engage with my family, I engage with everybody based upon what I like. Yes, Jesus died for me, but I'm now Lord of my life. I was told earlier I talked too fast, so I'm going to pause to marinate. <laughs> it's an emphasis on it's all about me. It's where I approach God and I approach Christianity from the consumer mindset. I'm going to come to church, you're going to feed me, and then I'm going to go home. And all that is required of me is to come to church, you feed me, and I'm going to go home. Yeah, I heard you say that I'm supposed to encourage my brother and sister, but, you know, I'll text my family. But I'm going to come to church, you're going to feed me, and I'm going to go home. If all you do is eat, 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 and you don't work out, what happens? This one here misses and neglects the aspect of Christianity that is not just consuming, but it's also contributing. Realizing that part of the fulfillment is not just that I can receive the word, but I can live it out. And the way I live it out is how I engage with others. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love endures all things. That whole scripture, it's not written about your boo. It's not written about your loved one. He's talking to them about how they are to respond in Christian community. It's how I'm supposed to treat Pastor Damon. Not just Pastor Stephanie. I'm going to give you a little clue. If I work on it with Pastor Damon, it'll be easier for me to do it with Pastor Stephanie. You see, we are the most careless with those who are closest to us. So part of the benefit of learning to live well in community is I put my reps up with Pastor Damon because, you know, I can smile and swallow my words and I don't got to go home with him. But then when I do it with him, then I realize, oh, I can do that. So then when Pastor Stephanie starts cutting up and I'm reminded that she's, child, that she's gosh, I'm sorry, she'll never act up. But I'm reminded that she's God's child before she's my wife. Then I realize God cares about how I treat her as God's child, not as my wife. I'm just going over here. My, my business. So that, so we have to avoid the selfishness that just focus on me. Me, 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 me. 
But there's this other piece of selfishness that's often forgotten. And this is the aspect where I am so self-centered, everything I do is from the place of being self-centered. So I show up to church and I serve, but I'm not serving as worship and honor unto God. I'm serving for your validation. I'm not coming and greeting so I can honor God and so I can fulfill what this scripture says. I'm coming and greeting because I want Pastor Stephen to see me. Ooh, no. Sorry, it's okay. I'm going to go home after this. I'm not, I'm not coming to the parking lot because I want to help the experience with God. I'm coming to the parking lot because that girl I like, she on the parking team. And I want to shoot my shot. It's this aspect where I am unhealthy, where I am looking for validation from people when it can never come from people. I'm trying to get from you what can only come from God, but when I go to God, it requires work. God don't talk to me about you. He talks to me about me. So I don't want to go to God. I want to try to shortcut and try to get affirmation from Pastor Timmy. And then when Pastor Timmy don't give it to me, I use it as a justification to say I'm no longer going to serve. You don't serve Destiny Church or wherever you are because of the people. You serve it for God. When you serve based upon people, you will be disappointed based upon people. But when you serve based upon God, you are reminded that he to whom I'm serving for is faithful and just. And as long as I'm worshiping him, I can care less what you say while still honoring who you are. You know, this is, this is a 1231, so I can just, you know, I can let loose because there ain't no service after this that I know of, you know. So, so we have to protect our love. We have to protect it from selfishness. Listen, hear me. I am not a proponent of being so, so overwhelmed with selfishness that you don't do anything, nor am I a proponent of you over here overextending yourself and neglecting your home and every other aspect of your life because you want validation. You have to do it associated to not what do you deserve, but what does God deserve? So the reason me as a pastor, I'm leading, we call them life groups. The reason I'm leading a life group when I don't have to is because it's part of who I am as a Christian. It's part, I'm in community. So that's why we're going to have our little golf group. I just started golf. Can you tell by the swing? Anyway. All right. So now that we've talked about this, we, in order for you to navigate this season, because God wants you to walk into the reward. He wants you to have the promise. But many of us are in a gap. Anybody in a gap? Anybody in a gap? Only two of you? So what you do in a gap is you protect the asset. You protect the asset of confidence and its ingredients, which are faith, hope, and love. So now my three points, and I will close. Point number one, we see it in Hebrews 10, 35. He says, don't throw it away. This speaks to agency to let you know that no one can steal it from you. You have to decide to throw it away. So what he's saying here, and this is so encouraging to me in a time like this, in the midst of uncertainty, when there are so many things out of my control, I can control my confidence. I can control my faith. I can control my hope. And I can control my love. And so if you are going to protect the asset, if you're going to walk into the promise, walk into the reward and finish this season well, number one, you can't throw it away. The second thing which we see in verse uh, 36, let me actually read it to you because some of y'all may not believe me that, uh, what it actually says in the text. In the text, it actually says, oh, thank you. It says, for you have need of endurance so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. It's funny that we focus on a promise, but we miss the so that after you have done the will of God. Point number two, you have to decide to endure. 
You have to make a decision. I'm not testing this out. I'm not trying this. It's a for God I live, for God I die. The closest thing I know is marriage. Stephanie and I said, hey, we don't want to, this to end in divorce. Divorce is not an option for us. So we talked about what we needed to do to make sure we had a healthy marriage. We got rid of plan B, plan C, plan D. It's that piece where I have decided to endure, that I'm going to see this thing work out. When I have no other options or no other back doors, then I have the ability to use my faith to see it work out. So number two, you must decide to endure. I cannot tell you, I am 38 years old. I have been living for God, like for real, for real, since I was 17. In my 21 years, number one, I can testify to the fact that God is faithful. I can sit down and talk to you about the fact that, that even when I mess up, God is still faithful. I told a story in the first service where I said that I can tell you about when I moved here with $250 in my pocket and how over the, over the next 30 days I got a job and then over 18 months I got three promotions and my salary was tripled. Somebody asked me about it in, in the foyer and I realized I didn't share the full context. What happened was a year before I felt like God told me to move here, but I wanted to do God's will my way. I could have made it happen, but it wouldn't have happened the way I wanted to. So I said, I'm going to stay here for a year. I stayed there for a year. Everything that could go wrong did go wrong. And so finally I got to a point to where I said, okay, God, I'm going to just do it for you. If it is you, I'm going to trust you. And I stepped out. I say that because I think some of you may feel like I've messed up. Some of you may feel like it's too late. And I want to let you know, not only is God faithful, but even when you have fallen down, he is standing there with his arms open wide and said, it's okay. Get back up. I'm still here. God is not looking for perfection from you. He's not saying that you got to get everything right. He, is, he just wants you to have a relationship with him. So number two, you have to decide to endure. Because I've also seen at least 15 times where somebody was three steps from what they wanted and they quit. I sat in the office five times where a person wanted a certain promotion and they were progressing on the development plan. And it was once they accomplish this, they'll get set job and they quit too soon. And they still have not entered into that piece. So we must decide as Christians that we are those who endure. If you read verse 39, it says, we are not those who shrink back. We are not those who turn back in the face of adversity. We are not those who quit. Why? It's not in my own ability or my own strength. It's in who God is. If I really believe that he raised Jesus from the dead and that spirit is on the inside of me, if he defeated death, hell, and the grave, what is this that stands in front of me that he cannot defeat? But I got to be willing to endure. Past disappointments, past failed expectations. Then number three, focus on the principal promise. I want to bring attention to the, the verbiage, therefore, it was, it was intentional. Focus on the principal promise. There are principal promises. The fact that God will be with us, right? A promise that is blank. It's, it's a promise. Then you have secondary promises that happen as a result of the relationship with God. And I'm concerned that in Christianity today, there's an overemphasis on the benefits of the relationship with God and an underemphasis of the relationship with God. There's an emphasis on what God will do for me, but an underemphasis on the fact that the primary promise is the fact that He is with me and that my soul is saved. The true promise is that I was dead, I was broken, I, I wanted to give up on life. And He entered my life and I was changed and transformed. 
And not only was I changed and transformed, but I have an invitation to live life with him. I have an invitation to come alongside him and to help build his kingdom, to make a difference so that those who do not know him can also come into a relationship with him. That's the principal promise. Not that I won't go through anything. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. He didn't say I would not go through the valley of the shadow of death. He did not say I will not encounter hard times. He did not say I will not encounter tough situations and circumstances, but he said I'll be with you. And not only is he with you, but he says your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So not only is God with me and not only is he available, but there is comfort. The staff is that he fights for me. So that lets me know that I'm not in the battle alone. That lets me know that although I'm going through something that's hard, that, that I don't know how it's going to work out, that I'm not in it alone. And the promise is not that I won't go through anything tough, but the promise is that he'll be with me. And as a result, thank you for clapping. And as a result of that, watch me now, my soul is healthy. Then I can enter into now into him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask or think. Now I can enter into 3 John 2. Beloved, I wish above all things that you will prosper and be in good health as your soul prospers. In this season, there are a lot of things we cannot control. You can control how your soul is. You can control how your confidence you can control your faith. You can control your hope and you can control your love. Now, let me be clear. I believe you have taken the first step and you are here. So this message is not you're doing something wrong. Actually, the way I view God is when God says, fear thou not, that means he's warning me that something's going to come that's going to cause me to fear. And so he's telling me ahead of time. So when I encounter it, I won't fear. So I believe part of you being here and part of the reason that, that this is the word that God has for us is he does not mean for us to live contingent upon what happens externally. He, he, he wants us to live according to our relationship with God. And I believe he is speaking this word in season to let you know that you have confidence, that he is with you and that he is for you. And that regardless what is happening right now, he still wants good for you. And as long as you protect the asset, you will walk into the promise. As long as you protect the asset, you will have the reward. So don't allow the things you cannot control to stop you from doing what you can control. And that is protecting the asset. That's protecting your faith. That's protecting your confidence. Because he who promised is faithful. Let us pray. Gracious one, the creator of heaven and earth, we turn our attention towards you. And first we say thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for being with us. Thank you that, yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that you are with us. And God, we pray that you will give us a fresh renewal of our confidence. Remind us of the faith we have in you. Remind us of the hope we have in you and remind us of your love. And God, we stand before you right now and we say, if there's any area in our soul that's not right, we give it to you and say, Lord, we lay it at your feet. We lay disappointment at your feet. We lay failed expectations on your feet. We lay unbelief on your feet. And we thank you for, the, for meeting us here for the purpose of changing and transforming us. That I can leave this place with full assurance of faith. That I can leave this place with, with my confidence of my hope. And I can leave this place recognizing that God loves me and, I want, and he wants me to experience his love with him individually as well as in community. 
with every head bowed and every eye closed, for some of us, the next step is a relationship with Jesus Christ. For some of us, our soul is not well because we have not decided to live for him. Whether it's I've never had a relationship with him or whether it is that I've fallen away. I believe that God is here today and part of the reason I preached what I preached is so you can come into a relationship with him. Scripture is simple that all you have to do is to acknowledge that he is Lord, to confess him with your mouth and believe in your heart and you have the ability to enter into a relationship with him. So for some of you right now, you feel a pulling. Some of you right now, you feel that nudging. And so I like the wonderful opportunity to lead you into a prayer. I'm gonna ask those who are here with me to, who have a relationship with Jesus to repeat the prayer as well. So those who are here that may be confessing it for, for the first time can feel the love of community. So for those of you who want to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, I would like you to repeat after me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I acknowledge you as Lord and Savior. And I thank you for the gift of salvation. And today I receive that free gift. I receive you as Lord. I receive you as Savior. And I thank you for saving me. I thank you for setting me free. And I thank you I'm on my way to heaven. From this day forward, I will live according to your plan and I will live according to your destiny. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks again for tuning into this week's message. If you want to learn more about our church, check us out at www.yourdestiny.church. Meet our leadership team, find a way to connect with our church, and partner with us through giving. You can also connect with us on social media by visiting our Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. Tune in next week for another message from our pastor, Stephen Chandler.